0: Ecclesiastes chapter 10 as we move forward oh also uh on the celestial side Mars is super bright closest it's going to be in a while if you, if you didn't see it last night it was in the eastern sky it's the big red one Yeah, it's, it's not the moon it's the other one over there it's big and red and you can really see it I, I can remember not ever thinking about stars having color until I met my wife and she's like Oh, I see colors. she goes. I see blue and red and green and all. Uh, and since then, since I really pay attention, I'm like, Oh, I guess there is colors. I guess I just I'll just do a hurry. I guess, but uh, you know, to be able to see the, the the red star out there, so a uh, the red planet, and so uh, that's kind of uh, neat. I think this is what twenty some years before it's that close again. So, uh, still a red dot, but yeah, it's, it's, it's still uh, it's, pro- it's still pretty neat. We enjoy it. Chapter ten, ready for chapter ten. So we're just uh, a couple chapters away from the end here, and Solomon is. Uh, beginning to direct his arguments in a more intended direction. Uh, to use a ship as a metaphor. Uh, Solomon has sailed in many and varied directions and has seen and showed us the meaningless of life under the sun by, by where he's been going on his little journey. Now, while he is, still, he is still well out at sea and cannot see land, he's starting to change his tack. moving the ropes he's adjusting the sails and he's starting to change his direction and steering us towards meaning and truth he's starting to focus in he's not going to be so random he's not going to be so blown about by the wind he's starting to steer into a direction to bring it home to land the ship and give us some answers and so that's where he's building towards as we get towards chapter 12. Um, We find ourselves in a current of change uh, here in this chapter the winds are still a little confused, that's a sailing term, where it's not really a good direction, or the sail's flipping back and forth, and you're not really making any progress, and so we're kind of in that spot where it still seems like it's a little confused winds, there's a little bit of turbulence going on, but he's going to take that, and he's going to grab hold of it, and he's going to start to steer the course as he directs it home, and, and, and he's one of those that it seems like random bits thrown here and there, but I stop and think about it as a whole, you can see the pattern, you can see as it begins to develop and and bring that direction. And so uh, we have some seemingly swirling proverbs today that we can see kind of all fit together between this week and next. Uh, I was hoping to get further this week than than I will, but uh, we can see how they all uh, pull together. And so these are proverbs. Proverbs are generally what you think of with Solomon. He wrote a whole book, you know, that, that is there, his proverbs, his little pithy sayings, and that's what a proverb is. It's a Short, pithy saying that expresses a basic truth or a practical precept. Um, it's either got some little wisdom to it, or it's just saying something that is true. We use Proverbs all the time. We have little pithy sayings that are just in our language that we throw out all the time. We're going to look at one today. <clears throat> we, don't, we use it every once in a while. Um, but we're going to see the origin of it, the origin story of this little pithy saying. It's chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, this is a pithy saying. Um, that express, expresses this basic truth. So, um, chapter ten, verse one: Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary, apothecary uh, to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in a little folly, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A uh, little bit of a tongue twister, you know. Not necessarily the pithy saying that you and I say, but it is a pithy saying that you and I have probably used or you at least heard of because uh, it is an old familiar one, just that over time we've condensed it down. This here is at its origin where it started. We say uh, a fly in the ointment is usually where we stop now. Oh, that was a fly in the ointment. Uh, you might hear that saying, you might read, read that before. Uh, a fly in the ointment, a small but irritating flaw that spoils the whole. You know, that, that's what the fly in the ointment saying is. It's like, oh, you've done so much good, there's so much wonderful, there's so much that's perfect, and there's that one little thing. A little fly in the ointment, that one little thing that that ruins it that, that blows it um, there's just you know it's just it's just irritating that you could have so much success and then yet have this one little thing that can throw it all off um, The best one I can think of is uh, uh the trying times in marriage when you are hanging wallpaper and uh, and so we're in the hall, you spent the money on the wallpaper you know and it's it's like this. The wife has convinced you this is an investment in the house. It'll be part of the insurance, and, and it was. And then we put it all in there, and we're hanging the wallpaper. It's one of them. You're trying to get it straight, and you're trying to get it smooth, and you're trying to get the air bubbles out, and you're trying to match the pattern from the other side, and you're yelling at the printer. And I'm like, it's not the printer's fault. And you're always saying, and you're we're getting it all stretched out, and you get it mostly done, and it, and it rips or you get that bubble you can't get out, or the pattern doesn't match, and then that's all you see for a week. You know, and you're, oh, it's all perfect except for that one spot. And then you forget about it. Nobody else ever sees it, you know. But because you're focused on that time, it's there. But it's like that little fly in the ointment. It's like it's, most of it's good. All 99.9% of it's good. It's that one little spot, you know, it just irritates you every time you go buy it. You know, we, we've all had those little frustrating things, those little wrinkles that mess up stuff. Uh, it's uh, it's just uh, awkward, you know, that's... Uh, just frustrating and, that, and that's what he's talking about here that that, that fly in an ointment uh, and, and this is one of those unfortunate chapter breaks um, you know, the bible wasn't written in chapter and verse you know we put that in there to so i could stand up and say you know chapter 10 verse one and we all find it, versus roll your scroll down about the fifth paragraph you know and so it 's to make it easier in that way most of the time it is but this is one of those that um, it's kind of a little unfortunate because this is actually on the heels of chapter 9, verse 18. Uh, chapter 9, verse 18 says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. One sinner destroys much good. So uh, he's saying there's, there's so much good. You can have so much good. You can have a plan go so good. You can have something going so good, but one person can blow it. You know, that was something World War II, you know, cautioned against loose lips sink ships you know they're, they're like you know because here's what you're saying we can have a great plan one of you leaks this it can blow the whole thing lives could be lost you know and so uh, they would garner the mail as it would, goes back you know, they'd censor it you know what they were saying we didn't want any of our plans d day and all these things going out they kept the secrets close because their lives were at stake you know but one person could blow it just by saying something frivolously and, and get out there you know is that kind of kind of mindset here one guy can ruin it um, just think but the creation, you know, God made it. It is perfect. Uh, it is wonderful. Uh, there's plenty of food. You didn't have to work for food. The, you're hungry? There it was. You know, God had a garden that was all there. Good things to eat. I don't even think there was any rotten fruit. There was nothing. There's not like the brown spot in the banana or the soft spot in the apple. You didn't have any of that. it was all perfect. It was all good. You can literally, it was heaven on earth. You know, it was the perfect temperature. You know, the, the flies weren't in your eyes. You weren't getting bit by mosquitoes. There was no serpent, you know, to go to bite you on the ankle. There's none of that to worry about. Nothing to, no fear, no stress, no worry. And literally one guy ruined it for all of us, right? One guy, you know, who, who, who throws us into sin. And so he's like that dead fly in the ointment. It's all good. It's sweet, smell it's great. One person ruins it. So one, uh, one person, one sinner can destroy as much good. One fly can ruin a whole batch of ointment. Uh, an apothecary, apothecary, let me say it right, apothecary, there's uh, a word that's making a comeback, because it's kind of a trendy and old word, you know, it's a fancy word for something that we have all the time. <clears throat> this is one of those instances, Father, that I learned from watching Batman. Uh, in the 66 Batman, they had labels on everything, and I remember one time they were going after the cunning criminal, and he was in the apothecary. I didn't know what it was, so I looked it up, and I learned the word, and was basically like a drugstore. You know, it was, it was a place where... Um, I'm like, why drugstore is easier to spell? I would use drugstore, but it's a, a place where mixing is done. It's a mixing word, uh, and so they would mix chemicals, or they mix the, uh, they, they have the you know, the mortar and pestle, and they would mix stuff together, and they would make their pills, and they'd give it to you, apothecary, um, and. Uh, also in that as perfumes, you know, they would mix their perfumes together. When you think of a drugstore, they got the big cosmetic section, and you've got the medicines as well, you know, so they're, they're fixing all kinds of things. And so um, this one, in, 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 and Solomon's juice here is more the, the perfumer, you know, the one who's made this sweet perfume, this sweet ointment that's going to, think, lotion. You know, something you put on that makes you smell good and, and, and feel good. Because literally the word means to crush or to mix. And so Solomon uses it in that way. He says, boy, this, this guy has worked hard on his perfume. He, he's, he's crushed and got this ointment already in the old. Uh, in the Bible times, they used ointments a lot. That was the, uh, that was the cure-all. They used uh, poultices. They had all these different ointments and salves that they would rub on. It's where medicine was at the time. They used the natural materials and brought it around. It's all the way up into the book of Revelation. It talks about anointing your eyes with eye salve, you know, to the, uh, the Church of Laodicea. So it's, it's their general rule how they, how they worked and how they operated. So this guy here has got his ointment already, he's got it all. He's worked hard on it, and he comes back the next morning, and there's a stupid fly in it that's died, and it's rotted, and it's made the whole thing smell. And he's like, oh, that worked. You know, I got all so good. One stupid dead fly has now made this thing rotten. You know, he's got to throw it out. You know, it's not like he could scoop it out and try to save it and squirt a little more, you know, lavender in there. I don't know. He's like, oh, just just stinks now that's what he says right there it's a stinking saver now it's not like here put this on you'll stink you know you can't sell that you know you you might be able to sell to a few people but you can't give it away so the small little thing ruins it all so that's the clear statement of the proverb like something we know and understand he's saying for their day and age you know all they all understood what it was like to get a fly in their ointment in that way and and we know it's like to have that one little thing that that ruins you know the whole project so now he uses that to compare uh, verse 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth stinking savor. Yeah, we've shortened it down a little more pithier. He <laughs> says, But so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Again, it's written a, little, written a little backwards than what you and I would say, but it says, Little folly or a small mistake can ruin a good reputation. That's true. You have such a, you, maybe you've built a whole life. And you've done things good, and you've done things right, and you've really kind of guarded yourself. But a momentary weakness, or that one time you have a little bit of lapse in judgment. You know, the friends kind of go, you. You can try it. Hey, who's going to see? Who's going to know? Who's going to go on? Or that slip of a tongue. Like I wouldn't normally say that. You know, then someone walks by, and you've, you've hurt them, and you've ruined your reputation, and there's, you know, some low point in your life. All that wisdom and honor is forgotten. You know, it's like, oh, man. Blew it. One mistake. It's like, as the world in general, we zoom in on the fly. Like, here's this great you know, wall that's all painted, but we've got that one bad spot. And it's like, that's all we can see. Well, they say chickens that way, right? You know, if there's a chicken that way, they have one little spot there, I'm going to pick that one to death, you know, because it's got a weird spot on it. Because it's like, that's just annoying. Let's go pick on it until we make it horrible. That's us. You know, we do that. That's our news, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's how the news cycle runs. It's like, oh, we can't wait for bad news. Nothing sells better than bad news. They're going to put it out there. Uh, I would say I wish I could think of an example. But like I said, our news is full of examples. I could sit here and list all day of good people, good men, who, who seemed like they were doing good, you know, but they had that one momentary flaw. Or they had that one weakness. Uh, I'll use more tried and true ones, though. Esau. Esau became a mighty nation. He became a great force. We mostly think of him selling his birthright for a pot of stew, right? One day he was hungry. Yeah, I don't care. I want a pot of stew. You know, momentary bad lack of decisions is what he's kind of known and marked for. You know, that he made this one bad choice, you know, even though he went on and did so much more. Moses. Moses, known for leading the people, pleading for the people, crying for the people, asking the God to have patience with the people. Lord, you know, let them succeed. Let them go on. But then one day, he loses his patience with the people, right? And he turns and he smites the rock. You know, he hits it. He's like, I'll fetch you water. And he, and he hits it instead of speaking to it. And this guy who's known for self-control and known for his patience, you know, he loses it. And it costs him going into the promised land. He had to forfeit it. Because of that one little, one little lapse, that one, that one little weak point, or the closest one to Solomon, his father David, and his mom, Bathsheba. Solomon's whole backstory is the fly and the ointment, right? That, that's kind of his origin, where he comes from, how David became you know, his father. You know, that, that, that baby died, but, you know, he marries Bathsheba after killing her husband. So the, the fly and David's ointment. And David's ointment was sweet. And you think about his life as a whole. Everything David did, God uses him as a standard. Thankful we have a merciful and a gracious and forgetting God. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forget our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But often when you think of David and we think of all his accolades, there's always that blight, right? There's always that fly on the ointment. There's always that, well, that one time. It makes him human. And I'm glad God uses humans, He uses flawed individuals, you know, He gives us hope, doesn't it, that He could use us but out of all those amazing and wonderful things we this that one thing quickly raises its head. So Solomon's telling us here in this proverb, be careful. Guard your steps. Don't let your guard down even for a moment. You know you make bad decisions when you're tired? Don't be in a spot where you're going to make decisions when you're tired. Or say, I'm making it later. You know, the salesman will play on that, right? No, now, someone else is coming right in. They're going to sell it. They're going to buy it. You better take it. You better jump on this. We're going sign the dotted line. How many times have we all been like, why did I do that? You know, you wake up in the morning. You know, it's like but they push it. They get it on there. It's like, he said, take your time. It's your life. You know, there'll be more cars. There'll be more houses. There'll be more land. You know, don't, don't let the high pressure get to us. Let's be, Let's be patient. Let's lean on those everlasting arms where where God has set the plan and He's put the guardrails up and He'll keep us in the center of the road and and, and don't be running off. Think where He's guiding us. Go where He's going. Lean on Him. He says, I'll make the decisions. I've told you how you ought to live, I've told you how you ought to go. Young people, listen to your parents' warnings. They're trying to save you grief. I can remember my parents literally telling me that. You know, what we were telling you is we are trying to save you grief. We have been through life. We have some experience. We are trying to save you from making some dumb decisions. I can remember them making, letting me make some dumb decisions. I'm like, I wish I had listened to my parents. You know, it's like they, they, they were trying to save me. And so trust them in that. You know, the world's going to tell you, oh, no, don't listen to them. You're your own boss. Do your own thing. Listen to them. Make lines in the sand now. Even as adults, we can always change the line. We could draw it closer. We we could reassess. Thankfully, Christianity is a series of new beginnings. Every time we come to a new understanding, every time we come to a new conviction, we can draw that line in the sand again. Like, I know I used to. I'm not anymore. You know, that, that, that we can change. We can make those lines. We can change who we are and what we're doing. So make a line in the sand now. Decide who you are. Decide what you stand for. Decide what your family stands for, husbands. Fathers, you know, who we are, what we do, what we allow, what we stand for, what our family will be known for, what we will not do and what we will do. You know, this is who we are. And then reinforce it in your children, reinforce it in your family, reinforce it in yourself. There's something about saying it out loud and and having it out there that is a guard and a protection unto yourself. You Because you said it to your family, they're going to guard. Like, hey, I didn't think we did that. And you can always be like, I was just testing you, son. You know, it's like, you you can always just kind of, it keeps each other in check because you know. Aim for something. Have a goal. Children are not something we just let grow up and say, I hope they turn out. No, there's something that you rear, that you are guiding and training and and developing them. We're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be training up a child so when he is old he does not depart from it because we've instilled in them those principles about how to live and what to do. So yes, children, all of us, choose your life. Aim your life. Have a goal. And Christ says, Heaven should be your goal. Because where your treasure is, that's where we're to put our treasure. That's where our heart will be also. Seeking to please Him. Seeking to walk with Him. Seeking to honor Him. Seeking to honor Him in everything we do every day of our life. So we decide now in the calm We decide now on the Sunday morning when the friends and the peer pressure and all the pressure of everything else is away from us. When we're here, when we're hearing from God's word and his focus, that we choose to throw in with him. That we choose to lean on his everlasting arms. That we choose to let him guide us and direct us. To use his principles to govern our life. To let him be Lord of our life. Um, Greg at the fair talked about a lot of people that said they were Christians. Could not tell tell him how to be a Christian. Could not tell them the last time they were at church or read their Bible. You know, but they were counting on something that they never had applied to their life. If Jesus Christ has saved you from the depths of hell, should He not be Lord of your life? Should He not have some say? I say yes it does mark you it changes you you want to honor him you want to live a life that's pleasing unto him that you want to say I was once lost but now I'm found and so yes it changed how I live how I act how I what I believe what I do where I spend my money where I spend my time you know we, 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 he marked you he changes you so Christians we're to follow Christ we're to walk in his footsteps Footsteps of Jesus. All these songs we sing, you know, about the lamp unto our feet. We talked about this morning in the song how the path glows from day to day. It gets brighter. We know where we're going. We know the path. It becomes clearer for us to see as we walk along it. When we and we tread that direction, so we use trust God and trust His directions. We're to follow Him. This is what He's saying in this. He's given us the warning in this proverb. That one little fly can ruin that ointment. It can ruin that perfume. One mistake can ruin your reputation. You could have been known for wisdom, and all they're going to think of is that, and we have the examples in the Bible for us. So protect yourself from the heat of the moment. Protect yourself from peer pressure. Try to surround yourself with good friends. But still, you know, they they, they put that out there to you. They try to pull you down. just life, You know, people and and things pull that direction. And so um, watch out for boyfriends. Watch out for girlfriends. Uh, they could pull you away. And so make your decisions today. Yeah, avoid all that. Run from it. Be like Joseph. Shed the coat. Get away. Stay true. Stay honest. I'm thankful that we have a forgiving God, though. But we're, we're told in uh, Samuel, through first uh, Samuel, through the story of Saul, that he says... Uh, I killed all these. I sacrificed them all, and God had told him not to. And we get that line that God prefers obedience rather than sacrifice. We studied that some last week too. And when God was like, "I am sick of all the offerings if it means nothing. I'm sick of you coming and telling me you're sorry again and again. When does it change? When do you really believe what you say you believe?" Graciously, God is merciful. God is long suffering. God is patient. But he asks us to step it up sometimes. So where is the genuineness? When are you really going to do what you say you believe? And he asks that of us. Then he moves on to verse verse 2. He says, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, and a fool's heart is at his left. It's not as clear and obvious to you and me, but uh, uh, we have to think in uh, the terms of the ancient days, and, and we find that it, we still use the terms today, you know, the right and the left, and, and, and choose how you're going to be. Right is generally regarded as strength, because the majority of the people in the world are right-handed, so think dominant hand if you don't like right no, Beth. <laughs> I love the left hand, lefties out there. But uh, right is a dominant hand. It usually means strength, skill. I am better with my right hand than my left hand. Um, Beth plays guitar right-handed, you know, so she's a little bit better with both, but, you know, but generally as the rule, you know, Dominant hand, we have a dominant hand, it's a right hand. It, you have more strength, you have more skill with it. You favor it more. You know, we tend to do things with our right hand more. It becomes obvious someone's right or left hand, you know, by, by how they move. Uh, the left is generally seen as weak. Uh, the, the left is seen as, generally seen as bad. Uh, Roman culture, yeah. Most of you know what Romans did with their left hand. But uh, in Latin, it literally means uh, sinister. It's the sinister hand, you know, to be doing something with the left hand or leading with the left hand, showing with the left hand. It was, culturally back then, there was much, not much. It was like trained in you, be right-handed. I could remember in school, people that were left-handed, teachers like making them right with their right hand. You will write all the, 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 they try to really force that in them. And so as a general rule, the dominant hand, you know, use your, we use our dominant. so... Uh, if you want to see the skill of your right hand over your left, I, I thought about making Robbie come up here and throwing a baseball left-handed, but, but he might be really good, I don't know, but, but you know, if you've ever done that, I can remember on the baseball team, that was always it, you know, we'd be out there throwing, 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 and they're like, all right, now left hand, you're like, that's embarrassing, <laughs> you can just tell we don't use that hand very often, it doesn't have much skill, it doesn't have much cunning, you know, you can't tuck it in, you can't make it curve and, and throw all the things that you would with your right hand, you know, it's just floppy silliness, you know, when you throw it out that way. And so um, you can see that, you know, the, the difference. You know, it's a Disciplined, cunning, right, strong, you know, uh, skillful hand versus one that's kind of like, hey, eh, I don't have much control over it. It does whatever it wants to as I try to make it do something. Uh, you know, you're probably doing that. If you get bored with what I'm saying, you know, you're like, I'm going to try to write my name left-handed. And then it looks all, you know, I can't even read it and you can't tell what it is. You know, it just doesn't have that. He's saying here, true strength. Choose to live by the right. Choose to live by by a strong life. Live a skillful life. Live a life that is disciplined and been trained. My right hand can do things better because I do things with my right hand. You know, I can can draw with my right hand. I can write with my right hand. I I can do all these things with my right hand because I am right It It is the hand I go to first. It has the most experience. It has the most practice. It has the most time put into it. You know If I practice with my left hand, there are things I can do with my left hand. I can chord on a guitar. I can do things that I can do with it that I can't do with my right hand as much because I've trained it to do other things. And so but he's saying here, be controlled. Have a controlled life. Uh, My right hand is more controlled. Uh, To have a disciplined life, I've taught it more. I've given it more skill. I've put more time and attention into it. It's a planned life. Live that right. A right, uh, A wise man's heart is in his right hand. But a fool's heart is in his left. So we're to guard our heart. My right hand can protect it better. It's stronger. It's controlled. It is more defensive. If I was to pick up a sword and fight with it, I would have it in my right hand. It was going to be my best chance of protection. The left hand's just living a life, kind of open and exposed, because he has no much skill in it. You know, if you think of the left, he's saying here to be very loose. You know, that's a very loose hand. It's not controlled. It's not. It doesn't have the discipline and the strength to hold it together. Uh, it's weak because we don't use it as much. Your right hand is generally, unless you purposefully train them both, the left hand is going to be weaker than your right hand. If you were to lift something up, you know, with your right hand, you could probably lift more with it than you could your left because your whole body's geared toward your right hand. It usually, means no morals in that way. That's what they're saying with the left. It's a, they're looser. There's no control. It's not disciplined. I, I've not really taught it. i am not putting any time with it. I've not really given it any skill or anything. And so have a life that, is not, that you've not put anything into, that you've just kind of let go willy-nilly. There's the whole movement today, like, we're not telling our kids if they're boys or girls, we'll let them decide. Otherwise, you're not a parent. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not even doing your job. You should be going to jail for uh, dereliction of duty. Um, sloppy. There's no plan to it. There's nothing that is there. It's a foolish life. And so he's saying here, choose a disciplined life. Choose a controlled life. Bring yourself into control. Put a bridle on yourself. Don't let yourself go wherever you want and be loose and whatever you do. He said, that's a foolish life. Uh, show that your life has meaning. You think about it, and you think about the loose people and, and the loose morals that are out there. You're like, well, that's not a life to be envied. It's not a life to be jealous of in the medical field. You can tell, right? You know, it's like if <laughs> they've lived a loose life, they pay for it sooner they have more diseases, they have more troubles, they have more, because they've, they've done things to excess, they've had no control, they've had no self, self-control, and it, and, it, and it creeps up on them, and they pay for it physically. You know, so we're to have a disciplined life. So that's what Solomon's saying here. It's like, you know, we want to be disciplined. He's guarding us against being a, you know, watch out for that fly in the ointment. By having a controlled life, we don't want to be that one bad guy who ruins the whole big thing. Uh, verse 3, he continues, he says, Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way... His wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. He's basically saying a foolish life is easily seen. And he's saying when he walks or when he lives his life, it's on display. The foolishness is on display uh, for what they are doing. Those bad choices become evident. Well, it's because he chose to do that or because he spent all his money on Alcohol, he spends his money on drugs. He doesn't watch what he's doing. He doesn't do this way. They don't do that way. They've never. He's got diseases because he's slept with everything. And he, well, all these things that come upon them because there is no discipline there. It becomes obvious. It's like that's a foolish life. Don't choose that life. You know, don't go that way. Don't don't give in early. We regard ourselves always. Bad choices put you in bad places. You know, the shootings that go on and the people. They're killed. A lot of times, it's, you know, sometimes it's random chaos and it's tragedy, but most of the times it's people in a bad spot doing bad things. So like we always told our kids, you know, don't be out after midnight. Nothing good's happening after midnight. You know, the trouble's going to come. That's when the drunk drivers on the road. It's when all these things happen. You know, stay safe, stay smart, stay out of those troublesome places. You don't have to run in with the law. You know, uh, they're broke they're embarrassed by their life and what's going on it's because of these choices you know, and things that have happened and here, Solomon has given us the, the advice or the wisdom or the arms to lean on to guard yourself to don't be that way your life shows whether you're foolish or wise Jesus approached it uh, look at Luke chapter 7 Luke 7 he, he talks about this Luke 7, <clears throat> verse 31, Luke 7, verse 31. It says, And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation, and to what are they like? All right, so he's, he's telling us something here. He says, I want to tell you about the, the people to whom Jesus came to minister to. Think about the time in which they lived. Jesus Christ, God, was made flesh and lived on the earth. He is fulfilling Scripture right after left. It's right in front of them. He is the answer to all these prophecies. Everything is there. They could have researched. They could have found it out. And this is where it is. He is at the heart of where he says it would happen. It's the heart to where they knew about it. The Jewish community. He is there. What a time to be alive on earth. When Jesus Christ is alive, doing miracles, performing all these things, showing this from the warnings from his birth up to John the Baptist, up to him and what he is doing, that it should have been clear. It should have been evident who he was and what was going on and what God was doing. To the point where there's a prophecy in Daniel that counts down and ends on a specific day when Jesus enters the city. If they'd have known it, as a matter of fact, he holds them accountable. If you'd have known this, thy day, you should have known, and you would have known. You know, and so he gives these warnings to him. So he's saying, What's this generation like? Uh, verse 32. They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and we have not danced, and we have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. Um He's talking about kids' games here. Um uh, Kids today still play one of these games. I don't know if they play the other one. I never did. But (laughs) I guess it was the, uh, the most exciting things that happened in their town. But they played funeral and they played wedding. You know, it's like, oh, you lay down and we'll all mourn and cry over you. It's a time that made a big impact in their life. And they saw their family act differently. Um, playing weddings is a little more common. You know, it's like I had nieces, that I think they played wedding every day. And so they were always dressed up and, and, and doing things, playing, and it was just a, it was a big deal to them, you know, to put on the veil, and put on the dress, march around, make their brother be the groom, and do all, uh, do all those things. And so they, they, they played wedding. And he says, here, he goes, these guys, if we, he goes, if I was taking you down and we were going to be the kid version, he says, we'd be down here saying, hey, let's play the mourning game. Won't you join in with us, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll mourn and we'll be sad and we'll pretend together. And they're like, now we like, oh, okay, let's play the wedding game, and we'll dance, and we'll have a big feast, and, and we'll have the bride, and we'll have a big fun day, and we'll have a big fun time. Nah. And so I'd call them the Sims, the stick in the muds, so and they're just going to be like, no, they don't want to do anything, they just want to sit there and be mad at everybody. And so he says, that, that's, that's you, you know, we've called to you, verse 33, for John the Baptist came either eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he hath the devil. So John the Baptist came, and he's like, uh, he's more of the, he was more of the mourning, he was more of the funeral, he came restrained. You know, he came showing that he was a prophet. What you would kind of like typically think of? He didn't do anything. You know, he, he stood out there, lived in the wilderness. He didn't even have a house. You know, he didn't have any clothes. He had like wool skin. He didn't have groceries. He ate what wild locust honey. You know, so he's eating grasshoppers and honey and. Uh, it's like he's on a, a reality show, seeing how long he can survive in the wilderness. But but God is supplying his need. He doesn't have any of the, the temporal earthly things, you know, so he's got kind of more of a, a sad and sorrowful face. And he is preparing the way of the Lord. He's, he's getting them awakened to that Jesus Christ is coming, that God sends a prophet, and a prophet is higher. He looks like Elijah. He looks like uh, Enoch, you know, all these guys. He he's kind, of, kind of has that. Uh, um, mystique about him that he's out there and so that people would walk you know a couple of days journey to go out and see him at the jordan you know to be able to go out there and see what was going on and and to have this encounter and then he preached hard to him right you know repent and you know get ready prepare the day of the lord's at hand And, and he was getting them ready he called out sin and to the point where they killed him over it because he was just no nonsense told it how it was i'm sure he fasted i'm sure that he had that sorrow grim kind of a look in that way and he says we sent him we sent the guy with the funeral like okay maybe you like all the rules maybe you like it to be hard and harsh maybe you like it that way you didn't listen you didn't buy him you even knew as several times he goes why'd you go out in wilderness to see you know some soft guy in rain no you knew he's a hard prophet in that way and they rejected him they they, says here said he had a devil a madman he's preaching the devil's message Jesus is like, it should have been evident. It should have been obvious. I told you the last verse, the last part of the Old Testament says, I will send someone in the spirit of Elijah to waken you up. Here he is, and you guys reject him. He's like, you call him a devil. He says, not the Son of Man, verse 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wide bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. He said, Jesus came. He was a little bit the opposite way. He had joy. He had life. He's the wedding. He's a time where it's fun. Remember the first miracles at a wedding? He makes wine. And they're like, um, many of the John the Baptist crowd would be like, why did he make wine? And you know, all this way. It's like, so it's like, it's, it's like you know, he didn't get him drunk, but he's like, you could drink it. You know, he's a little moderation, you know, about having fun. He's about the feasting. He, he, he hangs out. Uh, in a happy society, it tells me like Jesus Christ is not like they always make him in the movies where he's the sad guy over there that's just mysterious and umber. He'd be that smiley guy who's there preaching the message of joy and telling them, "Come into my father's mansion. He's got many rooms prepared for you." And, and he's trying to get them with the log in your eye and you've got the mite and you know and, he, and he's using all these kind of comical. He'd be a happy guy to be around, a joyful guy. He's the way of life, right? He's the way of truth. He's he's that living water. He's live. He's, he's not deadly. He's he's the wedding. He's He's the wedding feast. Everything about him is the party, the celebration. That he has come, the Messiah is here. He goes, and boy, you know, he even hangs out. He invites everyone—the publicans, the sinners, you know, the, the the sidetrack ones, the ones that are the outcasts. He's saying, "Come unto me, you know, I've made a way for you. If you've just come in, he invites them all. All are welcome. Not just the somber and the sober ones. All are welcome. Repent and trust in me. You can have salvation. Salvation's for anyone." They called him a drunk. They called him a glutton. Look at—he's overindulging. He's, hes doing too much. Churches are divided the same way, right? we got the ones that are the, the, the mean and sobers and the ones that are, are the, say you're too, too much fun. And Jesus said, we tried both. And so he's saying the same thing as Solomon here in verse 35. But wisdom is justified of all her children. It says the same thing as Solomon is saying, as the drunk is walking, you can tell by how he walks. You can tell by his life, whether or the drunk, the, 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 the fool. You can tell by how he's living. And Jesus says here, it's like, all right, you won't choose either one. He goes, we've sent both. He goes, you can tell by their children. Wisdom is justified by all her children. Look at the fruit. Look at, examine the life. See the results. Uh, see, see what it is. And so I was thinking about, remember all those famous uh, Pharisees? Remember that guy? Remember his name? That Sadducee or the scribe? I I don't know any of their names. I know the high priest named Caiaphas. You know, and then remember their disciple? No. <laughs> you know, crickets, right? We can't think of any of them that were descendants of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I can think of some modern day ones maybe that I would probably throw in that, that category. But for the most part, we're like, nah. I don't, I don't know much about them. But what about Christ's children? You know, the ones who lived by the rules, lived by the example, that lived a life modeled after him. What about James and John? What about their disciples? I can tell you a couple of John's disciples. Two of them were named Peter and Andrew. And then after they saw the Messiah, they're like, where was the Messiah? And then Jesus, is, he had Matthew, Mark. I know, I know Matthew and Mark. I know John. I know Philip, Thomas, James, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon. You know, and then it goes to the next generation. You know, the ones after them, you get Paul. Then you get Polycarp, you know, who's the disciple of John, that goes on down that way. We get William Carey, we get Martin Luther, we have William Tyndale, David Livingston, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the one who had uh, one of the biggest vocabularies they think in the world, you know, to be able to preach the gospel that way. Uh, Hoosier, Billy Sunday, you know, made a mark in the world going around preaching. They still, the town is still known uh, for it. Can't think of his name right now, but <laughs> it's a uh, uh, Winona Lake up there is uh, Billy Sunday. Uh, that's still marked by him and his teaching, still uh, marked in that way. Billy uh, Billy Graham, you know, just had his passing this last year. Gospel preached clearly at his funeral. Testified again and again the lives that were changed. You know, uh, that was there broadcast because of the life that was lived. How many preachers get their name? You know, have a televised uh, funeral in that way. You know, to be able to have a life that. Sold out to the Lord in that way that he did. John MacArthur, good speaker out today. You know, preaching the truth gets on television. He gets to speak about it. I think of Ray Comfort, you know trying to bring the way of the master back, trying to get the funds, all the things that they had thrown at them to try to shut down their studio to make it where they cannot produce a, a, a big TV series that helps to go out and encourage people to evangelize and gets the gospel on the TV in a clear and present way using the celebrities like Kirk Cameron and their Christianity to be able to uh, perform it in that way. You know, After performing uh, the gospel in that way, Paul Washer, a powerful... Powerful speaker. If you've never heard a Paul Washer sermon, you've not had your toes stepped on. Uh, This guy will, uh, yeah, he'll rake you over the coals. He's more of a John the Baptist kind of preacher that way. But telling the truth in love because of the compassion that he wants you to be saved. We have on and on and on to a room full of people here today where I can name your names. You know, the children who are the offspring of Jesus Christ's wisdom, of his teaching, of what he guided us in. He says, which one's true? Let's just see the proof will be in the children. What's the wise life? What's the, what's the life that makes a difference? Which one lasts? Which one makes the, a difference in this world? Which one makes a difference in lives? It's not the Pharisees. It's not the keeping the law. It's not the Sadducees where you just, uh, well, we deny the supernatural. We deny everything. It's just a social club. It's not the to scribes to where they just look at the law and they never apply it and they never go out and they never talk to anybody. It's the ones who live. It's the ones who call to a funeral. Some of them, that's their thing. If they like rules, if you like, if you like structure in that way, you go to that. Or the ones that have a little more fun, live the life, you know, and go out there and say, let's live life, let's be in the world, but not of it, and to be different in that way. He, he gives you a little both categories. Which one? You know, Choose one of them. They have disciples and they live all, and that's us. Proof is in the p- pudding. See, Jesus' disciples, John's disciples, Bear him true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His teaching is right. His teaching is righteous. His teaching saves lives. His wisdom is a wisdom to live by. It's arms to lean on, as we sang out with. Lean on his everlasting arms. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on those everlasting arms. He'll guard you. He'll keep you safe. He'll make that path glow from day to day as we live in this pilgrim's way. He'll keep us guiding and going down that way. Proof's in the pudding, would be a saying that we would do today, right? Proof's in the pudding. Jesus Christ is the one who makes a difference and changes lives. So... Um. Live a life of discipline, a right hand, a life of control, a life in charge, a life that is planned, a life that is taught, a life that is purposeful, a life where you've drawn a line in the sands, and we say, this is what we do and this is how we're going to be. Live a life that is guarded. Examine yourselves. Don't allow yourself to have those weak times. Safeguard yourself. Listen to the wisdom of your parents. Listen to the wisdom of Jesus. Listen to the wisdom of the word of the Lord because it is the best decision that you can make uh, as, as we go forward to him. Solomon is steering his ship and he is turning in that direction saying, now under the sun, It's foolishness. It becomes obvious. You can look and see, but a life that is righteous, a life that is governed by God and his word, is a life worth living. And so he's starting to steer that ship towards uh, our memory verse as he steers it that way. I hope we steer our life by those same principles uh, because it is the way of wisdom and is the way of life. So I appreciate you being here this morning.